Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who's the long leaner, Vincent the Cleaner. He's the illest dude from here to Gardena. And he's as cool as a cucumber and a bowl of hot sauce. Here's my co-host from the left coast and Mike D's illegitimate brother. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean... So for this episode, we have a special guest who hosts his own podcast, which is called I Effing Love That Record. He's the special of the day, and he's got more spice than the frugal gourmet. Please welcome to the podcast, Derek Caraview. Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a, Good. It's, it's a Saturday. It's Poland, so it's summer and somehow not summer at all. So whatever. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, I ask the all-important question. We'll start with Derek. Derek, what t-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing a black Johnny Cash giving the finger t-shirt. Perfect. Wayne, you got that one? No, I tried to buy it for you and you said your wife wouldn't let you wear it. So Yeah. Well, I, I, I've got one <laughs> other. I've got the other Johnny Cash, the, the uh, mugshot one. So that's ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, Wayne, what t-shirt are you wearing? Oh, I'm going to be that guy. I'm wearing the, uh, my check your head. Me too. I am, uh, also wearing my beastie boys, check your head t-shirt. So, and, uh, this is not the original one that we bought at the, uh, the end fest. If you remember that, that was my first and only time seeing the Beasties was with you back in, what was that, 92? I think so. Yeah. Thinking about that the other day. So it's it's not the it's not the same shirt that got uh, thrown out in the great t-shirt purge of 2002. Um, but uh, I did find one that had the Rebus on the back. So it's very similar to the tour t-shirt that I bought way back in 92. So do, do you have the back on yours? Oh, please. I don't even understand that question. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to offend you all of a sudden. Uh, all right. Uh, so, so Derek, so, so tell us about, tell us about your podcast. My podcast is fairly similar to what you guys do, except I have a just one guest every week where we both talk about a record that we effing love. Uh, it started with listening to a different podcast that was about records that they hate. And it's very funny. They're not too snarky about everything. And so I was looking for something to do because I was doing a podcast for work and I wanted to flex a little creative muscle. And so uh, I decided I would give this a try. So I made up a, a list of I think originally about 20 records I wanted to talk about and put some things out on Facebook and Twitter and got some people to sign up, mainly people from high school and a few other people that I do stand up with here in Poland uh, and just gave it a go. So I already had some, a little bit of knowledge from the stuff that I was doing and I had done a podcast back in 2012, I think it was briefly. And so, uh, yeah, just got started and uh, decided to do um, uh, an exchange. So I would, choose the first one uh, for the odd numbered seasons and on even number seasons, my guests would come back with an album that they chose. And okay. I find people, as you, as you well know, people really love talking about the music that they love because it doesn't get to happen as much. Um, and so in sort of a formalized setting, 
And so it's been a ton of fun just learning what people love about certain records. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. I was on your podcast uh, a couple months ago. We did an episode about uh, one of our favorite records, Not a Surf's Let Go. That's right. One of my uh, top 10 most played episodes. So thanks, Ben. I appreciate that. Oh, fantastic. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, it, was, it was a nice little uh, uh, congratulatory tweet uh, from Matthew Cause himself, who uh, thanked us for, for doing that episode. So that, that was cool. That was very cool. That's the first time that's happened where somebody that I, because I always try to mention if the, the band or the artist has a Twitter presence, I will at them. And so far, with the exception of Matthew, I have been completely ignored by the <laughs> 30 or so. Now, a few of those people are dead, so I can't get too mad at, let's say, Leonard Cohen for not tweeting back at me because he's in the grave. Right. Now. But uh, right. yeah, so Matthew was the first and that that really that high took me through the whole weekend. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's been a few artists that we've done that I was like, oh, they'll totally tweet about this. Like, I'm sure they would just they're they're super appreciative that somebody even pick their record to talk about because it's not you know it's not part of the i don't know what what am i even trying to, uh, to to use a scott terry term uh wayne the zeitgeist not part of the zeitgeist i i was surprised that a few of these musicians didn't tweet out and say you know thanks for uh talking about us uh, well i guess i shouldn't say that because uh wayne on his instagram um <laughs> i'm still pissed off at you for that uh ian, ian mcculloch actually liked the post that wayne put on the instagram about us doing the echo and the bunny man uh episode with matthew cause yeah say, and if anything i learned from that episode is that matthew cause may be the nicest person in the world yeah, I, I believe that you are correct. He's awesome. It's either Matthew or his bandmate Ira, because I I love Ira to death. He's both of them are just great dudes. Great dudes. So so I do have to say so thank you very much for coming on uh, our podcast because um, this was not how I thought we'd have you on originally. <laughs> uh, you're doing us a huge favor because. Um, we were supposed to do this, this album episode with a musician who shall remain nameless, but he canceled on us not once, but twice. And because Wayne and I had already done our research, we had our notes together. I even had my scores ready. The dude bails on us the day before we were supposed to record. Ugh. And, uh, I was like, okay, who could I get? who might like the beastie. So I threw it out to a bunch of people and there were a couple other podcasts who were like, yeah, I don't, I'm probably not the guy to talk about the BCs. And I threw it out to you and you're like, yeah, heck yeah. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I was only disappointed. I couldn't do it for you like the very next day. Cause this is too long of an album to try to figure out scores for. Right. And I wasn't even, yeah, I don't think I threw it out to you to say, Hey, can uh, you think you'd be ready tomorrow? Did I say that to you? You said it was more like, I know this is not going to happen, but if, and then oh, I, yeah. I looked at my schedule and I was like, uh, no, I can't. I just can't. Right. Right. So we'll, we'll definitely have you back on when you get to pick the, the, 
the the record cool. instead of us going um hey you want to talk about check your head so what would be what would be some of the records or the uh the musicians that you would want to talk about when we have you back on I'm a gigantic fan of everything that Greg Dooley does. And so I'm really hoping to be able to talk about the Afghan wigs. Uh, that's my first choice, but I know that not a lot of people know who I am and not a lot of people know who they are. So if you wanted to go with something a little bit more um, uh, notable, I would, I would choose Johnny Cash uh, as well. There's uh, one of the, I've done two of the, the Rick Rubin records on my show, but there's one I would love to do on this show as well. And I also thought about maybe Tom Petty, because um, at one point you mentioned you hadn't done Petty, but since you've been doing a deep dive lately, I'm assuming a Petty episode is coming. No. No. Okay. Because No. I would, Still no. Wow. I can't believe we haven't done Damn the Torpedoes. Yeah, that's uh, that's an all-time classic right there. So, uh, you know, as much as the Afghan Wigs would be my first choice, I was thinking either uh, Damn the Torpedoes or Wildflowers, because Wildflowers is my favorite record by Tom Petty. Mine too. And uh, Johnny Cash is the second one uh, for the Rick Rubin. So um, um, uh, two Unchained, uh, which I think is basically Johnny Cash singing with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers uh, for the most part. And then um, I think that was my – I had one other one I can't think of because – oh, I thought about maybe doing Josh Rouse, but I finally found somebody to do that for my show. I saw that. That's uh, that's current episode, correct? Uh, last week, yeah. So this week uh, on Thursday, it, ch- it changed to the Pantera episode, but I did Josh okay. Rouse uh, last week. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna, I still have to check that out because uh, what was that? 1972. Is yeah. that the one that you did? Yeah. Yeah. You'd love that record. You would love that record. I I love that record. Love Explosion is such a great song. Well, going back to what you were saying of should I do an Afghan wig song? Well, have you checked our episode list? Yeah. <laughs> There's some pretty obscure stuff in there from, from, from some of our, our, uh, our guests. So we'll, we, we don't, we don't mind doing episodes on records that maybe people aren't super, uh, into. I mean, it, we let our guests choose. So, you know, now, granted, they may not be super um, downloaded, um, but sometimes, sometimes I get super uh, surprised because, like, um, I didn't think Wayne, uh, I didn't think that our our episode about the beat farmers would be super downloaded. It surprised me. We've we've had some pretty decent download uh, numbers. Be- for, for that particular record. And we didn't have, you know, we didn't have a household name. I mean, Phil Berg is great dude, but he's, he's one of our listeners, you know, it's not, not like he's coming on here to pimp his new record or his new book or whatever. That was an interesting episode because that, that guy had a lot to say and damn it, he was going to say all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, he did. He, well, he, he, even told us that he was a a big beat farmers nerd. So, you know, he was a super fan and, uh, you know, he wanted to share all of it. I think that that was like, you know, to, to, to quote Hamilton, you know, he's not going to let go of his shot. You know, that's his one shot. Yeah. 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 It was, it was a fascinating listen because that, you know, he just, he had a ton of insider knowledge and that was fun, but he just got going and he, he was going. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I still have some episodes that I need to listen to of yours. So, um, no, you did an episode for the cures disintegration. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, give, give me a, give me a spoiler alert. What was your favorite song off of disintegration? Oh, now I'd have to remember. Cause I did that a long time ago. Um, I want to, I think lullaby. Cause okay. I don't, I don't rank them like you do. Obviously that's, that's the hook that as, as I mentioned during our episode that if I had a time machine, I would go back in time and kill you guys and steal this idea. So, because <laughs> um, it's such a great hook, but uh, so we don't do that. Just, I, I think lullaby is my favorite song on that record. I'd have to think about it okay. hard because that's one that I came into a little bit later. Um, I spent my high school years hating the cure because I was into Metallica and Slayer and that kind of thing. And so I was just a bunch of, you know, mopey dudes from England that I didn't care about. There's a huge pile of those. And then I finally, when I grew up a little bit, I, I went back and listened to some. And The Cure is one that really hit me. And it's like, okay, so I like a lot of what they do. I really appreciate their, um, I appreciate their approach and, and their and their songwriting and just everything. But I don't, ha- I don't have that in my head as much. So that was right. my guest's choice. Uh, so he, uh, so it was, uh, my, my old friend, Derek Victor, who chose that one. So, uh, that hadn't been on my original list, but I was really happy to talk about it. Cause that was the first cure record I actually sat down and listened to. So it was a fun one to do, but, uh, there may be other ones that I like, but the lullaby is the first thing that comes to mind. Gotcha. Wayne, we, we still need to do an episode on disintegration. Oh, I can't wait. We should probably just like not have guests on for like a month and just do a whole series of cure episodes. I would be so down for that. Hey, it's your podcast. I'm in our buddies over at audio judo just released their cure episode. I think last night. I know I saw, I saw that I have, I haven't listened to, to, to their episode yet. I'll get, I'll get around to it. I have so many, I have so many unlistened episodes that I just, it's, it's tough. Yeah, since I don't commute anymore, that was, you know, that was two hours a day that I was listening to podcasts. And, you know, my walk, my walk in the morning is, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes, depending on which, uh, which path that I end up, end up going. And like this week, this last week, um, I was listening to Petty Records during my walk. I wasn't listening to podcasts. So I'm just about through the chronology, Wayne. Oh wow! And what's yeah. been uh, what's been the biggest surprise for you doing the the, the petty deep dive? Uh, how much I really like um, "Damn the Torpedoes." <laughs> like I I I knew that I liked it, but I I never had put it in the same category as you know "Full Moon Fever" and "Wildflowers." And yeah. re-listening to it, I was like. This I should have been playing this every six months. Did you watch that that classic album show on uh, Amazon? I have not watched that oh, episode yet. Man. It's it's on my it's on my it's on my list. That it, it's great. It's always hard to watch Tom Petty because he he looks so full of life, and you just can't <laughs> like can't believe he's gone. Like it's just one of those things yeah. I still haven't fully wrapped my head around. No. Uh, I would say the other thing that uh, kind of came out was um, how much I liked the last DJ because I kind of blew it off back in when that come out two thousand two I think and I just wasn't in a place well you know kind of going back to the let go episode where I talked about that 
I just wasn't in a place where I was consuming a lot of music. And so when I got a, a, a copy of that from, from a friend, um, I was like, yeah, um, okay. So he's kind of doing a little bit of a concept record because a lot of the songs are about the music industry at that point. And so I kind of blew it off and I'm now realizing that I probably should not have done that for the last almost 20 years. So, but yeah, I've got just a couple more to listen to and then I will probably listen to the mud crutch, uh, albums as well. there's a couple of those and, um, yeah. So I'm, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, when you start doing the deep dive and you know that you're coming to the end of it, like I kind of feel sad that I'm coming to the end of it. And then I just, and then I just remember, I'm like, oh, I can listen to these again. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm feeling sad and melancholy about this. Listen once and burn. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, a couple other episodes that I need to get to of yours. Um, and, uh, Wayne, this this is probably something you're going to want to listen to as well. You did an episode on Heaven Tonight from Cheap Trick. Yes, I did. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So what's uh, what's what was the favorite song off of that one for you? The title track, generally, I consider to be my favorite. Uh, that or Off Feeder Sane. Off Feeder Sane is so good. I love that song. It just flat out, it just rocks. That just that's just your face melts off when you listen to that song. So. That's probably my favorite. Now that I say that out loud, yeah. Was it? Was there some songs on that record that were on Live at Budokan? Because that came right out right around that time, right? Wasn't Surrender? I think so. Is is that on Heaven Tonight? Yeah, that is on Heaven Tonight, isn't it? I don't know. It. I I need to do a, a cheap trick deep dive. I think that that's. I think that's coming. Like the first four or five albums, though. Yeah. They, haven't they done like 20 albums? <clears throat> yeah, the opening track is Surrender. The first side is so, so tight. Uh, on Top of the World, California Man, and then the side one. High Roller. Of Weed Zane. Yeah. Yeah, Surrender is I, it's legitimately one of the best songs in rock and roll. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And then um, the last one that I need to, to listen to is uh, The Reminder. From uh, from Feist, you know, I had never heard that record before. What? I knew, yeah, I hadn't. I, I mean, because it, it was just—I think I—and I talk about this in the episode that I think I had confused her with somebody else, and I thought it was more of like a pop princess record. Oh. Uh, and so, because I'd only heard one, two, three, four, because that was one of the—you know—that was even on Sesame Street. You couldn't get away sure. from that song for a while. And so, my uh, friend had suggested that was also, a, a, you know, from season two. So it was the, the guest who had chosen it and I'd never heard it uh, definitely uh, except for the one song. And I fell in love with that record. And it's such a good record. That was one of the few that after I got done listening to it, even though I had to prepare for other podcasts, I would sneak in a couple of listens at the reminder. There's mm-hmm. some good stuff on that record. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, my moon, my man is so good. Um, what is the yeah. other, what's the other song that's on it? I feel it all is on that that record, right? I don't remember. That's the only record of hers I've actually sat down and listened to. Okay. Uh, I just haven't had the time to do uh, extraneous listening. <laughs> so I'm sure right. you can, uh, uh, you know, you can feel that. 
So uh, I, I don't remember all the all the tracks in there, but I remember My Moon, My Man was one of my favorites because it's got that, like the piano on it almost sounds like it could come from Spoon. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and I want to say that the, the singer from Spoon had something to do with one of the songs on that record as well. So, Were you not a broken social scene guy? Uh, I knew a little bit of that, but um, a lot of that came out after I'd moved to Poland and it was harder for me to... Yeah. find everything that I was hoping to find before I got Spotify. So I, you know, I, I didn't know she was a part of that until the episode. So there was a, a lot of things that I, I discovered with that one. And that was one of my, my favorite discovery episodes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so let's talk about how you get your guests. You, you mentioned that you've got some of your high school buds, but um, you know, some of the, some of the guests are musicians. And so how do you go about getting, getting guests for, for your podcast? Like I said, I had first just put some feelers out and some people reached, uh, you know, wanted to do certain records that I put out there. And it was, you know, people from high school or people from college or people from from here. Uh, and then lately I've gotten a couple of musicians just doing a general outreach. So I'll, I'll get in my mailbox and it'll say like, dear sir or madam. You know, yeah, all right. I'll give this I'll give this a spin. So uh, so the last one that I did with this um, with Dan Hughes. Uh, it was just outreach because he had a new EP coming out and I listened to it and I thought it was pretty good and I thought it would be fun to, to listen. So that's what I did. And also there's been a, a, some other podcasters that have done the show. That's when one of the nice things about being on Twitter is I want to say that at least 50% of my followers are other podcasts, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which means I don't think any of those people are actually listening to my show, but it, I'm meeting some really cool people. And so, uh, you know, John Porabil from Play Disc has done an episode, which I haven't uh, played yet. And uh, a few other people, um, um, a, a former guest of yours. So Brian Colburn from yeah. uh, Tune Styles, he, uh, he'll be up next week. And we Very good. The, the Cars first record. So it's just been a combination of people reaching out on Twitter. Um, a few people just sort of casting a wide net and I go ahead and decide to get caught. And, uh, and then basically, you know, just talking to friends and um, colleagues and stuff. So one of my favorite episodes so far has been the first episode from season three, where I talked to Michael J. Sheehy about yes. Leonard Cohen's new skin for the old ceremony. And uh, Michael is one of my all-time favorite singers. He was in a band called Dream City Film Club, and then which were kind of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds-ish from the mid to late 90s. And then Michael set out for a solo career. Uh, and so he was on Beggar's Banquet and put out three or four records for them. And those first three are great. I love those records. And then back from the uh, the MySpace days, he was looking to put together an independent tour and asked if anybody from anywhere in Europe had places that they knew he could maybe play. And so I had reached out to see if I could get him to come to Poland. And so then we exchanged a few emails. And so when it came to uh, time for Facebook, we ended up becoming friends like on not through his fan page, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so I just reached out. I was like, well, you know, the worst you can do is say no. So I was like, Hey, do you want to talk about a record with me? And he was like, sure. And it took us like, you know how this goes. It took us about four or five months to get it done. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't have management. It was just a matter. So he's now like a, a stay at home dad and he's producing his own music. And so it was just a matter of finding the time to get it all done. But so I got to talk to one of my favorite singers about my all time favorite musician and so that was just super cool. Very good episode as well. Thank you. That was one of the, the one of the ones uh, recently that I've listened to. Um, so yeah, people need to go check out uh, check out your podcast. Uh, speaking of John, 
uh, he, you know, he, he pinch hit for Wayne a couple weeks ago. Yeah. We have, we have gotten, uh, gotten to know each other from, uh, Billy Joel <laughs> and, uh, uh, we've had a couple, uh, of these little, uh, I call them John's listening parties because, uh, he'll, uh, I will tweet out about a Billy Joel record that I'm listening to. And then he just kind of expounds on each of the songs for, for those records on Twitter. So it's pretty, and pretty cool. I'm pretty cool. Stuff. Not a fan. Of, I'm not a fan of Billy Joel, but I'll always read what he's, what he's putting out there. So if, if I put you on the spot and said, what's your, what's your uh, Billy Joel record or what's your Billy Joel song? What what would you what would you tell us or are you just like mm, no I don't have anything for you I have a small handful of Billy Joel songs that I, I think are okay uh, I used to own one of the first records I ever owned was Piano Man my okay. cousin bought it for me for Christmas for some unknown reason it wasn't a new record at the time it was just like I heard this song and I thought you may like it Happy Christmas kind of thing so I was like oh, okay and that would have been you know back in like 1982 maybe. But I, yeah. I have a, a deep-seated hatred for the song Piano Man, uh, just be, just because of college stuff. When I was in college, some guys that I, I used to, some buddies of mine, uh, went on a talent show and sang that song. And so then, just for the rest of my college career, any party I went to, Piano Man came on like five oh, times. Oh, and so it was one of these: I hate you, I hate this song, I hate everybody. And I used to edit a local magazine in Tampa. And one of my writers did a uh, overrated, over, overrated Hall of Fame, and he had the uh, Piano Man as the number one overrated thing in pop culture. I gotcha. Uh, but it, I do like a, a small handful of things, like uh, uh, "Good Night Saigon." Is that a great that the right song? Title? Yeah, yeah. So I like that song. So there's a, a handful of the, um, let's say, mid stuff, but anything after, like, because I hate. Um, we didn't start the fire. Ugh. It's such a terrible, crass, sorry, bullshit song. Um, <laughs> I just, and that was my, because my senior year of high school was in 1990. And for some reason, my classmates selected that as the song of the year. So that was, you know, another one of those. So I, I hold little grudges against Billy Joel that have nothing to do with Billy Joel. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, but I could probably, I, I think it's one of those, I, I got the, three the, the, the three disc greatest hits and i i want to say I, I took out about eight songs from that and got rid of the rest so there's a, a small handful of billy joel that i like but not a lot yeah wayne do you remember what the theme of our senior prom was you know what and i i remember we want we wanted to change it at the last minute to bon jovi's never say goodbye but i don't remember what it originally was this is the time this is the time <laughs> Which is also a Billy Joel song, which is not a, it's not a great song. I mean, it's okay. Say again. This was not the time. Yes. No, it was, it was not We're we were so over it. Um, or at least I was senior year was just whatever. Um, all right. So, um, you, you probably know what question I'm going to ask you before we transition to the record that we're going to talk about. So, Derek, Toto's Africa, good or bad song? I'm going to go bad song. It's a, it's a song. I don't hate it, but I don't understand why it, it came back into pop culture. I mean, it's like, it could be Eye in the Sky by, who was that? The 
Is that Alan Parsons project? Alan Parsons project. project. Yeah. You know, so like, it's like, it's one of those songs. It's just, it's, it's got a decent whatever, but ultimately it's a throwaway. Uh, but for some, there's something about it. Cause I, do you guys know, um, a singer songwriter from Australia named, I think his name is Howie day. Yes. So he did a live version of that on okay. an EP back in, I think 2001. And that was one of those like, okay, it was just kind of funny because he stops mid song and mentions about how the way he sings Serengeti is funny. And so then he goes back, you know, and so he goes back into it and he starts singing and he, and he kind of does, he sings that Serengeti line with a wink and it's, and that's kind of funny, but just why suddenly it's a part of the, the conversation again, it baffles me. Yeah. Okay. Wayne, Wayne has put you down on his, one of his favorite <laughs> guests. Um, all right. So the, usually I ask the guests what, so what, what record did you choose? But we chose this for you. Um, so we are going to talk about the beastie boys. Check your head. This is, this was released in April of 1992. This was on Capitol records. This was the follow-up to arguably my favorite, actually not even arguably my favorite beastie boys record, which is Paul's boutique. That's one of the best records ever. Yes. So three years had passed between that record and this record. Was the band, were they using instruments on Paul's Boutique or was that all? All the Dust Brothers. That was all. Yeah, I don't think there was any. I don't think they played any any instruments. There may have been instruments played, but I don't believe they did. No, no, because a big deal was made about them playing instruments for this record. So if they would have played any on Paul's Boutique, I think it, it wouldn't have been such a big deal wouldn't have been made about it. Yeah. And when we did see them live, like, I think we, we left, we left a little early. I think we left with like, what, two or three songs left Wayne, because you're like, let's beat the traffic and I want to go home. I'm tired. I don't remember it that way, but, uh, okay. It was a long time ago. I'm not gonna, of all of the two of us, which one, I'm the one to more stay out late, but Okay. Okay. You you were the one who said let's go, um, because you're because I think if I remember this correctly, you're like, um, so the last time I saw them was for License to Ill, and they were way more fun without instruments in their hands. <laughs> think that that was the the argument. I was going it, through a divorce. You, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> All right. So. Um, so I learned something. I learned something while I was uh, doing research for this. Do you know that Beastie is an acronym? I did know that, but I don't remember what the acronym is because it's pretty. I, I believe I heard that. I but I heard it and not sure that I believed it. But yeah. So uh, I heard it directly from Mike D's mouth. There is a clip out there with Jimmy Jimmy Fallon, and here's the acronym. Beastie stands for. Boys entering anarchist states toward internal excellence. And then he laughed about it because he's like, oh, my gosh, it's so stupid. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, If you learn nothing else from this episode, you now know that Beastie stands for. um, I'm not even going to repeat it. (laughs) All right. Um, So spin spin had this as number four. 
on the 20 best albums of 1992. I should have went to check what was ahead of it, but I didn't. Uh, was fifth place on Village Voices year-end poll. Um, and then Spin later ranked the album number 12 on their list of the 90 greatest albums of the 1990s which I thought was was interesting. Pitchfork ranked the album at number 34 on their list of top 100 albums of the 90s. And I did look at uh, the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time. This is not on the list. Um, there are two BC Boys records on the Rolling Stone list. Care to guess which ones they are and what their ranking is? I'd say Paul's Boutique and Licensed Ale. Those are the two. And then where where do you think Paul's Boutique lands on the list? It's 102. What do you I think, would, I Derek? Would say, I would say somewhere in the 200s. So 156 for Paul's Boutique. How about for Licensed Ale? It's, uh, 108. Derek? Uh, somewhere in the 90s. 217. So I thought that that was, that was interesting that, uh, cause if you think about what, which, which album do you think is more influential for other rap groups? Do you think that it's Paul's boutique or do you think that it's licensed to ill? I would think that they would say that it was Paul's boutique, but it would be licensed to ill. The thing with License to Ill is that, along with Run DMC's Raising Hell, that's what brought rap to the mainstream, brought it to Mm -hmm. the suburbs. Now, obviously, Paul's Boutique was a flop upon arrival, and that's one that people went back to and realized what a document that it really is. So I don't know how influential it would really be on the culture Though in rap circles, maybe a lot more just with the, the use of samples and the, the approach to it. But, you know, License the Ill sold 10 billion records and got kids everywhere listening to hip hop. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's way more influential, even though it's, it's, a lot, it's a much sillier record. And it's obviously a juvenile record, but it's, uh, it's responsible for ton of stuff that followed maybe not sonically but just it opened those doors and it got kids everywhere stealing v-dub symbols off of people's cars (laughs) you absolutely (laughs) know what i'm talking about (laughs) and since i was the guy who drove everyone around i i guess i I was I was the accomplice or the getaway car for those. <laughs> if anyone's listening who had one of their emblems uh, stolen, uh, message me. I can give you Wayne's uh, address later. Um, all right. Uh, so as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on the number of songs on the record and. Um, there's actually 20 tracks on this, but we're going to do a little consolidation. So, so Wayne, how many songs on this record that we're going to score? 19. So that means our top song is going to get 19 points. Next favorite, 18 points on Dan to the lowest score of one. And we'll bring up when we get to it, why we consolidated uh, two of the tracks. So let's start this off. This is Jimmy James. Yeah. Oh, I don't 
can't tell you how many times i've i've looked at that and kept wanting to say jimmy jam <laughs> um, I, I just looked at my notes and to make sure because i see jimmy james i'm like did i write that down correctly so <laughs> <laughs> and uh and wayne of course um you know we just talked about cheap tricks so that first little intro part is from that's the next the the one with the the, the next one's the first song on our new album yes What's that from? Is it from Live from Budokan? That's from Live at Budokan. And we still need to do that episode. Um, if we will ever stop having guests on, maybe it we'll do another episode of just me and you doing Live at Budokan. How, how, how many times do you think that we listened to that cassette of Live at Budokan back in the day? <laughs> Let's see. We, we went to school five days a week. Uh, so, <laughs> so we'd have to do the math, but a lot, uh, a couple hundred. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Uh, and um, so this was the third single off the record, and song has been described as a tribute to Jimi Hendrix. Uh, it includes samples from a number of Hendrix songs, and I'm trying to trying to remember all the 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 samples on this one. You guys, you guys know which Hendrix songs are being sampled in this one. I know Foxy lady, uh, happy birthday. And then I think there's another one oh, that I forget the name, but still smiling, still Stop. raining, still dreaming. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to bring up a lot of the samples on subsequent songs, but I just didn't, I don't know why I don't have any, any, uh, info on this other than, before the album was released, uh, they had actually gone to Hendrix's family and asked for clearance to use the samples. And I guess Hendrix's family originally didn't want to give them uh, clearance on that. But, um, you know, pro- probably something of, you know, we're the Beastie Boys, right? That probably had a little something to do with it. Uh, didn't chart in the U S on the UK singles chart. It was number 55. So there was a little, not much success, but there was a little bit. I, and I don't remember this as a single on the radio. Do you, do you Wayne? No. And I, I mean, this was, like I say, one the thing about this album is it's, it, it's, it's flaws are that it's kind of caught in between. Cause after this, I mean, we saw them at an alternative radio's summer festival. They changed kind of the box that they were put in, or in, the, in this album, they're they're changing. So I don't know where you would have played it, really. I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I never heard it on the radio. No, me neither. Derek, do you recall this ever being on the radio that you I listened do not. to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you guys have to say about Jimmy James? I, I said it right. I almost did Jimmy Jam again. Well, I think it musically can be considered uh, 
a tribute to Jimi Hendrix, but lyrically, it's it's very much like Paul's Boutique. Like that's why I think it's a great first song because it is a because it's the rhymes in it are great. Um, I mean, especially that first that first verse. There's some really great stuff in there. The brand new morning. Uh, it, there's been a, such a longing, but now the sun is shining. Let's roll back the awning. They just have some of their best stuff, and especially like the line with "I'm by D and it's been proven." I love it when I see the party people just moving. I mean, it just has, and it's all three of them, um, which they don't do every time on this record. So it's got this classic Beastie Boys feel um, to open it up because it's gonna it's gonna shift at times in in here. Lyrically super strong. You you didn't even bring up my favorite lyric, which is the strapped on the ear goggles and what did I see? But the music brought the people into harmony. That's my favorite favorite line on that. Derek, what do you got on this? Anything? Yeah, well, I, I like how it somehow manages to combine classic rock, old school hip hop, new school hip hop, and 1990s alternative in like the first 30 seconds of this song. Uh, I think this really set the aesthetic or follow the, the aesthetic of the time. Uh, whereas you can just, they said maybe they would have a hard time programming something from this in 92, uh, but not necessarily because I think there was just so much going on in the culture at that point where, as opposed to where the Beastie Boys were originally seen as just sort of a kind of a novelty ish hip hop act, at least for uh, License to ill and kind of forgotten about for their second record. This Album could be played, I think, at a lot of different places because it wouldn't have sounded unusual next to Nirvana or Smashing Pumpkins or any of the other great stuff that was happening in 1992. Yeah. So it's a it's a terrific lead off. Um, I I think that there. I one of the things I realized doing the the research for this one, and and I listened to a bunch of stuff and watched a bunch of their videos, is that they have a ton of personality, but they don't necessarily they're not the best rappers, you know, they're not doing inventive stuff with the language. It's almost like a, a lifestyle thing. And that's what makes it so fun. Like, I don't feel that that's a bad thing, but they're not doing tongue twister kind of stuff. They're not doing anything super fast. They're not doing anything super inventive, but what they do, they do really well. And this is, I think a fantastic way to kick off this record, let you know what's coming. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores. Wayne, what do you got? Oh, 16. All right, and Derek? This is also my 16. Yeah, and this is my 17, which leads us to next song, which is Funky Boss. Here are the lyrics for this minute and a half song. Ready? Funky boss, get off my back. That's whoa, whoa, whoa. it. Slow, slow down, Wayne. I need to. I need to write these down. Hold yes. on. Hold on. Yeah. All right. Um, so songwriting credits go to Beastie Boys in Nishida, who is known professionally as Money Mark, and I guess he is a. Uh, a producer and musician. Um, 
a lot of sampling in this in this one, even for just a minute and a half. So the ones that I I found in my research. So we've got the Ohio Players Funky Worm. We've got the Whalers Burning. And one thing that I read was that EPMD. So what you're saying is also in this, but I couldn't make that one out. Do you do you know EPMD, guys? I do. Yeah, I don't. Did could. Could you get so what you're playing or what you're saying? No, I, didn't, I didn't. No, I didn't discern anything specific. I mean, I did find the research on the internet, so it's got to be true. Yeah, of course. I, and I, I wasn't sure that that wasn't uh, them musically in some places, kind of trying to, trying to, because there's a lot of stuff on here. I guess it'll come up more so because this one I think belongs on here. I think it is, once again, kind of a, it has some something to it. And while it, it it would be lower scored uh, on the album, I don't think it should be removed necessarily. Where there's there's a lot of stuff on here that should have ended up on the cutting room floor, where it shows you where Rick Rubin and the Dust Brothers maybe had more of an influence. Because Mario uh, Caldato was actually just, an, I believe, an engineer on Paul's Boutique, who's now the producer. So okay. he's probably not fully in control, like like a Rick Rubin or the Dust Brothers. Right. Uh, uh, Derek, what do you got on this? I just, you know, there's not much lyrically here, as you, as you said, and uh, it, it doesn't, it's not very long. It doesn't over overstay its welcome. I think it's, you know, there's, there's not much to it. I may have overrated this song a little bit just because it's on the first half of the record. And like Wayne says, there's, there's a ton of fat on this record. Um, I don't have a ton to say about it. It's, you know, musically it's fun. Um, I, I wish lyrically it was a little bit more something than what it is, but yeah, it fits, it fits on this first half. Gotcha. All right. Uh, this is my seven Wayne. What do you got? I might give it a nine, but like I say, okay. I think it's, that's most all musical. Cause it is, like he said, it's musically, it's fun. It is interesting. And it's, it's funky like the yeah. boss, yeah. like that boss, not the boss, not, not Bruce. Right. This is my 12, and it's, it's as I was listening to one final time today, I, I way overrated that, but I'd already sent you my scores. So. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All right, next song is Pass the Mic. Also known as not what Wayne tells me when I try and get him to sit in the the, the lead host chair. Okay, it'll happen. Just calm down. We don't got to call <laughs> me out in front of everybody like that. That's not necessary. Uh, yeah, it was uh, totally totally necessary. Uh, okay. Uh, this this one I hate to say this because I was, musically I I like it and I, I mean it has. A lot of the elements that I that I love about the BC Boys, but this one lyrically is weak. Like 
I don't I have a thing when you rhyme one word with another the same word which is actually not rhyming is just repeating and he does that with commercial. He also, you know, mowing down MCs like he's mowing the lawn. You got to do something besides mow them down because you're going to mow the lawn. You got to the whole idea is it's just there's a lot of weak stuff in here. Um, there's a lot of yes, yes, y'all. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't. They and I, I think they're they have a, a specific style. Yes, they're not Ice Cube or Eminem. There's a lot of things that those guys do where they come up with words that you know people have heard but don't come into everyday language maybe. And they're they're incredible, but they have a style and they have uh, and they're good at it. And in this time, their material is weak. Yeah, I I like it musically, but I I actually knocked it down a couple of scores be, just because of the line. Everybody's rapping like it's a commercial, acting like life is a big commercial. I'm like, that's not rhyming. That's that's not really rhyming, way. right? So I I knocked it down just for that. And now that I'm looking at the other lyrics of, uh, they rhyme go with go and lots and like you said, Wayne, lots of y'alls. Is at the end of a lot of the, a lot of the, the 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 lines. So, Derek, what do you got on past the mic? Anything? The interplay is what works for me, and that's what I think makes that really. That's what sets the Beastie Boys is their you know just the way that they do pass the mic, and it doesn't happen all the time on this record, as as uh, Wayne had said. And I have the same comment about rhyming commercial with commercial, uh, but I love the. Um, the Jimmy Walker dynamite. Yeah. All the Santa good stuff in the first part is, is fantastic. Uh, and then the one that, like, you know, people are talking about me because they haven't got a thing to say. And I really like that. Um, and the it, musically it's pretty heavy while still being just completely hip hop. It's not like some of the other songs on the record where it, it's a, a different genre. This is still hip hop while really just banging it out. So I kind of overlook some of the, the, you know, weak sauce lyrics because I like the rest of the package. I like their, I like their interplay and I like the music behind it. And I'm not a big lyric guy to begin with. So other than commercial commercial, which even now just, just bringing it up annoys the hell out of me. So yeah. Uh, yeah. That's which I know I'm you've, about. you've, you've brought the, I'm not a lyric guy up on a couple of your own episodes. And I'm like, but dude, your favorite is Leonard Cohen. That's that's the exception to the rule there. Okay, I love, okay. I love his I love his lyrics. That's one of the few people that I really do focus in on lyrically. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you guys realize that this was the first single off the album? Uh, no, I, I didn't. Because because I don't remember hearing this on the radio either. No. no, and I know this one came out before they had released the record. Yes. And so I don't know if, you know, at that point it may have still been, been played on uh, hip hop stations or something. Mm. So I don't know how well this did. Cause the first thing I heard was, you know, one of the songs we're yeah. going to get to later. I didn't, I yeah. did not hear the song until I heard the album. Yeah, I didn't either. A uh, couple of the samples on this, Johnny Hammond's big sir sweet. You already mentioned Jimmy Walker. He's in the mix as well. And then, so they got sued by jazz flautist James Newton. So he he has a song in here called Choir and he's tried to sue them in 2000. The judge uh decided that the 6 seconds and the 3 notes in 
the the song were too small to require them to license it. And I guess he appealed in both 2003 and 2004 and lost the appeals as well. So there you go. Let's get some scores. Derek, what do you got? Uh, this is my 15. Okay. And then Wayne? Uh, 10. And this is my 12. It leads us to gratitude. So Gratitude, fourth single for the album. Uh, Wiki said that it was primarily serviced to modern rock radio, but I don't remember this at all on the radio. And modern rock radio was pretty much all I was listening to in 92 and 93. Yep. So uh, bass guitar, this is from Wiki, so you guys can tell me if this is correct. The bass guitar in the song uses a Univox Super Fuzz, and the song was included in Guitar Hero Five, <laughs> guys played Guitar Hero Five because I don't, I don't. I don't play think it. I. I think I played Guitar Hero Three. Was the last one I played. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, I've never, I've never played any of them. Yeah, me neither. Um, what do you guys have to say on Gratitude? I say this one just flat out rocks. Uh, that fuzz bass kills it. And this is obviously just and like a throwback to their old school punk days, because obviously that's how they had started. Uh, and I think Ad Rock actually has a really good rock voice. And I'm glad he's the one taking the lead on this. Uh, but I think what I kind of love and, and loathe about this song is that organ that comes in at the end. Because it feels so tentative, like we're not really sure if we're going to do this. Are we going to play an organ right here? I guess we're going to play a little bit of organ right here. And it just seems like they're, they're making up their minds as they were doing it. Uh, but beyond that, this one, I just, this is such a great song. I love this song. Yeah. yeah. It's almost as if money Mark has like a, some Svengali kind of thing over him because he is overused on this record. I'm not, not to criticize his, his keyboard abilities, but there are places where it is not necessary. Um, and in fact, my, lo- I think my lowest, my lowest score is, is he's completely responsible for. So I just think he, I don't know what kind of Jedi mind tricks he, he played to get so heavily <laughs> on this record, because I agree this, this thing is where it all changes. Like, cause one of the things I love about this album, cause I do have, I think there's a lot of mixed results, but they could have made, I mean, they could have made License to Ill too. Uh, they could have made Paul's Boutique again. They could have stayed doing what they, I mean, what they had just done because even Paul's Boutique was so much different from License to Ill. Like they broke away from the label that made them. They got out from underneath Rick Rubin, who who was probably much more, uh, you know, he he was with his reputation, he he probably controlled a lot more of it than they they wanted to wanted him to at this point. They continued to create and grow and go in different directions when they didn't need to. And I love the name of it, gratitude, because it does when I listen to it, it feels like like 
thank you for being our fans and following us. And we're going to do something different. We're going to, and by different, I mean something back before anybody even knew who we were. Cause as much as people want to say, you know, that they started out as a punk band, none of us knew that until long after we were already fighting for our right to party. Yeah. And we, and we heard the song live Wayne Yeah, and, and, and talking about the, the, the punk sensibility. So, I had to look at the the set list. So they followed gratitude with we will not from bad brains and then stand up from minor threat. So that was their, that was their little uh, mini set of punk punk songs at that, that point. All done in under five minutes. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Uh, all right. This is my 16 Wayne. 18. And then Derek. This is also my 18. All right. Next song is Lighten Up. I have zero notes about this song because there's, I just don't have anything to say about this song. This, there's not much lyrically to this. And this is one that I feel like should have been left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, that, that is exactly what my notes say. <laughs> Derek, anything to dispute what we just said? No, no. I, I like the opening of it, especially following up. You know, the, the punk song, I think it's got a nice little change up, which is one of the fun things about this record. And it has a little bit of that dubby flavor to it. But then right around that one minute mark, there's that squeaky noise that sounds like somebody's cleaning a window. Yeah. And I hate it. I hate it. And nine now every single time I skip the song, I've only listened to this song recently to see if maybe there was something about it that I, I could pull away from. And if it wasn't for some of the other much lesser tracks at the second half of this record, this would probably be my least favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all kind of in agreement. This is my four. And then Derek, this is my six and you, you must really hate some other songs at the end of this record. Uh, Wayne, I give it a three. It's funky boss without the funky bass. It's just more, I mean, the keyboard initially kind of helps it and then it, it goes on. It's just, but ultimately, it, it could have. If it was missing, no one would miss it. Yeah, agreed. All right, yeah. n- next song is "Finger Licking Good." Samples on this include Bob Dylan, Roland Kirk, The Fifth Dimensions, Aquarius, slash Let the Sunshine In. Nothing from Colonel Sanders. I guess that would be too obvious, right? Yeah. Some, <laughs> some KFC commercial clips. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, Wayne, what do you got on finger looking good? Um, I love the, the lyrical exchange between Mike D and MCA. It's really, it's almost like they're, I mean, they're, they're really locked in tight. Um, I think it should have ended with the Bob Dylan sample. I don't think it should have gone. I mean, I think that would have been cooler if they'd have just ended it right there. Um, but like, there's like that, that line of give me some wood and I'll build you a cabinet. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff in here and the way they deliver it, um, is real is, is, is really strong. I just somehow I, I, I had to remove points for the finger licking, finger licking good y'all. Cause it just, the chorus was the weakest part of the whole thing. Agreed. Um, their exchanges in between and like ad rock on the turntable. He, he does, he does give him a shout out towards the end. Cause it is unusual when one of them is missing. Like it, I get it on the rock song. You go just with one person. I think that works best. But if you're going to, when you do a rap song, it's odd not to have that third guy. Yeah. And I'm lyrically, I'm, I gave this uh, a couple scores uh, higher just because of Mike D's out back and he's growing onions. I've got bigger buns than my man, Paul Bunyan's. Yeah. I mean, who, who puts onions in a, in a rap song? So kudos to them for that. That's awesome. Derek, you got anything on uh, finger licking good? Uh, I love the, this, the smooth opening to it. And again, the Beastie Boy interplay, even though it is just the two of them. Uh, and that, that Bob Dylan sample is just everything. It's just one of the best placed vocal samples I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, that's why I think it would just have been best to just let it go out like that. Just yeah, that right would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, here's the other one that I've got uh, highlighted. Always wear my goggles because there's so much pollution. What uh, what's the Patty Duke? Did we talk about that on the license to ill? Because didn't they didn't they throw the license that in the license to ill yeah. record as well? Yeah, Patty Duke's in in that. I don't know. Trying to blame you don't know. Probably, but. A- any any clue? Is that a dance? Oh, who knows? That, I, don't I mean, know. they Paul Mike D does. He knows all the dances. <laughs> That's right, Smurf. And, <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Let's get some scores, Derek. What do you got? And then Wayne? Uh, 12. And this is my 14. And that leads us to So What You Want. Times do you think that we played this in uh, in the old Toyota Celica? Uh, yeah, this is just this is one of this is one of their best songs. This is the song to me that captures everything the old old and the, the, the and the and the old where people you know discovered them and then this because this is the transition into uh, modern rock. Like this is this this was played on the alternative radio station 
a lot. And it's got all it's got everything. This one has that harder rock sound, but it's got the three of them doing what they do best and doing it so well. Yeah. This was the second single off the record. So here's what I thought was interesting. So I felt like it was played all the time. And maybe it was just because we played it all the time in the in the in the car. But uh the Billboard Hot 100, 93 was its peak position. On the modern rock tracks, 22. So I I thought it was a bigger hit than it was. It so I thought that that was interesting. Definitely on alternative radio, it was, it was, I mean, 22, I would, I would have thought it was higher. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Derek, what do you got on? So what you want? I really like the, uh, the organ intro that leads right into those big badass drums. Now I know, you know, these are those guys playing and I'm sure they didn't really have the chops that another band would because they didn't play for a long time. But I really feel like this song synthesizes everything they're trying to accomplish on this record. Uh, it's got the the hard rock feel to it. It's got some of the the hip hop elements to it. Uh, I like the vocal effect that they have on this, which they don't really use very often. This this record as a whole sounds a little bit muddy, uh, but just something about this one here, I just love that vocal effect. Um, and this has some of the most perfect record scratching because I'm not a huge fan of the record scratching, but this one just totally works. This is the best I've ever heard. Uh, and it's just, uh, and in the intro where you, where you, uh, uh when you introduced Wayne, uh, with about being <laughs> as cool as a cucumber, that was a line I had stuck in my head not too long ago. There's a new building being built somewhere here in town and it's called the gardenia. And I would see it on my way to work on public transportation. And all I could get in my head at first was from here to Gardenia. And I didn't know where it came from because I couldn't catch the melody. And just forever, I was like, why do I keep saying from here to Gardenia in this exact way every time? And then all of a sudden, it's I'm as cool as a cucumber in a bowl of hot sauce. I'm like, it's the Beastie Boys, okay? And it just it haunted me for like a week because I just couldn't, you know, it's like that earworm, but you just can't quite grasp what song it is that you hear. Uh, and so that's the one I just, I mean, I love this song. This is such a fantastic song. It's this stands, I think head and tails, not just on this record, but this is just really one of the best beastie boy songs, but I really feel like it, it, this is everything they were trying to accomplish on this record in one tune. So I got a question for you. The lyric of, I want you off the wall if you're playing the wall. Are they racquetball people? Well, they're from New York, so they're probably handball people. Handball. Okay. Yeah. Who is who is Eddie Harris? I think he was a jazz musician. Uh, yeah, and I always wondered if that was one of the one of their uh, buddies. Because, you know, they've, they've named Drop Dave Skilkin. And when we actually, when we went, Ricky Powell actually introduced him uh, you know, before they came out. So I'm like, I don't know if Eddie Harris is another one of their buddies or maybe it's Ed Harris, the actor. They just, they're so tight with him. They call him Eddie. (laughs) Maybe it's always, it's always baffled me because that's, that's the first line. So anyways, uh, samples on this include just rhyming with biz, which is from big daddy Kane featuring biz Marquee, which we're going to hear from, again on this record and then i've been watching you by Southside movement and sadly the only Southside movement song on spotify is their song funk talk 
So I, I couldn't even listen to the whole thing. Um, all right. That's enough on sample talk. Uh, this is my top score, Wayne. Oh, this is my top score because it goes strong lyrically to the very end because the best lines is, but if you're hot to trot, you think you're slicker than grease. I got news for you, Cruz. You're sucking like a leech. He just, the MCA was just so cool. This is, yes, this is the best song. Yep. And then Derek. This is my 19. Yeah. So that this doesn't happen very often. So that uh, all three of us are in agreement. I think the last time that uh, we had a, a record that we all agreed on was um, when we did our, our Prince episode. All of us picked Kiss as our favorite song. So huh. it's, hap- it's happened a few times, but yeah, that's it's, it's rare. It is rare. All right. Next song is, and I just lost my place. Hold on a sec. The Biz versus the Nuge. Perfect. You got to introduce that one. See? See? It's not so you, hard. <laughs> it's not so hard. If I pass the mic to you, it's not so hard, Wayne. Yeah. Well, the baby steps. We just did it once. We'll have to, we'll have to work it in. You're going to do the next one as well, then. <laughs> this 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 will be training ground for you, my friend. Derek, what do you got for the biz versus the, the nuge? Anything? I love this way more than I probably should. Uh, just the way <laughs> his too, vocal rides the guitar. Just the combination that's put together here. You have Biz Marquis, who is known <laughs> basically because he cannot sing. And they have him singing. Uh, they have it over top of a Ted Nugent line that if the name of this song wasn't the biz versus the Nuge, I wouldn't have been able to place this as Ted Nugent. And as much as I, you know, and Ted Nugent is a man that I find to be repellent, but just this whole thing kind of, it just works and it leads right into the next song so well. Uh, at one point, I think I had this one even higher than it needs to be because it's only like what 30 seconds long or something but uh, uh this is one of those kind of in between you know like the sketch kind of things that you would get from hip-hop and especially with you know 90s hip-hop and um it shouldn't work and this totally works for me i love this i you know and i'm originally from michigan and so there's a part of me that i think is supposed to like ted nugent but no i, I find the man completely repellent to the point where I can't even listen to those songs that I used to like as a teenager uh, anymore. Like I can't listen to it. I, I totally agree with him. I think that this, it, it does, it works on its own even. And like I say, Biz Marquis is such a, he's, he's such a ridiculous character, but I mean, he, he actually is a talented guy and has a lot. He's, he's been involved with the Beastie Boys. I, I, I think from Paul's boutique on maybe even earlier, but I, the only thing I would say about it, if I was to say it, it, any criticism is that I think I would have liked to have seen him use a, a a more recognizable Ted Nugent, which my words for Ted Nugent are even more <laughs> sterner than repellent. 
Um, We're trying to keep it PG thirteen way. Yeah, repugnant. I'll just I'll I'll go that. I'll I'll stop short there. But uh, I just maybe something. If you're going to use a song from Ted Nugent and call you know biz the biz versus the Nuge, it's difficult. I would say for layman people to know that that's Ted Nugent because it doesn't even the guitar. It doesn't even really sound. It's not that a that aggressive Ted Nugent kind of sound. So that would be the only thing I would say if that could be considered a criticism. So if the sample would have been cat scratch fever or strangled, something like that. Yeah. Something that people would have recognized. I don't know how they would have worked it in, but Bismarck, he is a talented producer and I'm sure he could have very well. uh, It would have obviously would have had to change it to some degree. So Eh, I back off. They did what they, he's because, Derek's absolutely right. This completely works. And it works as a as as a as moving into the next song better than some other of the sketch sketchy type stuff does. Gotcha. All right. Wayne, what's your score on this? Eight. And then Derek. This is my ten. All right. This is my five. All right. Next song is actually. Go ahead, Wayne. The next song, Time for Living. See that. That was silky smooth, Ugh. man, man. I'm just going to let you go from, from, from here on out. This is, this is the rest of the episode is all you, bud. It's about to take a turn. That's for sure. <laughs> break the continuity. This is a remake of the Sly and the Family Stone song from 1974 Small Talk record. Uh, here, here's some trivia. Let's see if either one of you guys can 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 answer this. So the boys also sampled another Sly song from that album, Small Talk, for a song they did on Paul's Boutique. What song was it? Yeah, I would have to look it up. I'm sure all the all the samples are listed. I think on Wikipedia. So the the Sly song is called "Loose Booty," and they sampled it for the song "Shadrach." Go check. <laughs> go a, check that out. All right. Well, I, I believe you. No, 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 no. Um. <laughs> all right. Uh, so going back to what you were saying earlier, Wayne, about the whole punk sensibility. So you take a Sly song and you totally turn it into a punk song so yeah and let i mean and like say if would you read the lyrics it does have kind of a, a racial struggle feel to it and so and sly's version is so funky which most everything that sly and the family stone does is funky but then these three guys who've actually made it and are successful take this song and flip it into and you know and rev it up into this punk rock song. And it is, this is probably, this is one of my favorite covers that of all time. This is, they really outdo themselves. Really? Yeah. I think they turn, cause it, it's so, it's so different, but it's so true to, in a way it's so true to the original, you know, 
meaning and structure. It's just, but these three, these three white kids from New York take this, this really super funky song with this kind of this, this, this cultural, this racially charged lyrics and then, and just, and rev it up and make it their own. And, but without it losing anything, I don't think it's still, it's very raw and aggressive. It works. What do you think, Derek? This is just a straight up punk song. And I think it's great. Uh, I, you know, this is one of the, one of the best songs on this record. And as we see before, like ad rock, I think actually has a decent singing voice, especially for like a punk or a hard rock or a metal kind of thing. Uh, that really just totally works. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about this one. And I know this was, uh, uh, this was the cover of the Sly and the Family Stone song, right? Which I think, which I think it, you can probably edit that out because I think that's brought up earlier. Uh, and I think they actually take the guitar line from a, a, a little known punk band who I don't remember. It was a band I hadn't heard of. Uh, but I think that even the the music comes from somewhere else and then they were able to synthesize this and it's I think it's great. I think this is one of the things that I really like uh, about this record, all the different things that they're able to do while it still all has a, a, a similar sonic feel to it. Yeah. What do you guys have for scores, Wayne? Ah, oh, seventeen. And Derek? This is my seventeen. Okay. This is my eleven. Can you can tell that I'm not a big punk guy, right? Um all right. I'm passing the mic. Oh, I see I forgot already. See, that's why we have to work on this. Uh anyway, <laughs> next song is something's gotta give. I tr- you know, with all my research of trying to figure out uh, all the samples and whatnot, I couldn't find any info on songs being sampled for the song. And I could have swore that you could hear some other stuff being, you know, thrown into the mix. Here we go. Ready for uh, a quote from Adam Horovitz. Here we go. He says, something's got to give is one of my all time favorites because of all the elements inside. Mixing live music with samples of our live music, live vocals with samples of our vocals, the lyrics and their sentiment, and the effed up bass. The music came from a tape of us jamming at Cole Practice Space. Maybe six months later, we were listening back to a bunch of tapes and found this stuff. We looped like 10 bars of music on Mike Sampler, put them in a, uh, in a song-type arrangement. Yak wrote some lyrics, and me, Adam, Mike, and Mark sang them. Mario went into the other room with a cassette of the music and sang the effed-up high-pitched sound on a four-track and then looped that. There's no hidden message behind the lyrics. They're pretty direct. 
to me this the song sound just sounds funky and i really like that the main instrument making the music is a dx7 as a little footnote the smile with with laughing i found in 89 or so i was at this predominantly white mall in either la or texas and in this crowded camera store there was a thing called the smile machine or something like that i pushed the little button and the batteries were all dead so it came out like the devil was making fun of us in the mall it just stuck with me like the just say no campaign with how deep in America racism is the image of the smile machine in the white mall fit nice in this song. I couldn't not just recite all of that because I thought it was just fantastic. Um, I like this song way more than you guys did. I thought it was funky. Um, I thought it was kind of hypnotic i enjoyed coming back to this song i kind of had forgotten about this song i think back in 92 this was one that i kind of skipped over and i kind of fell in love with the song uh, over the course of listening to this over the last uh, couple months so gave it a way higher score than than you guys did wayna anything on this song and hypnotic is the word, first word i wrote down too it is and i mean they were becoming more socially conscious i mean it it starts to pick up speed after this i think but i the video with goes with it really well all the explosions and the the, mm-hmm. the bombers and the you know the warplanes um it but yeah it's it's very it's got a great groove and it's not something i ever turn off but i think the i think only is it only mca that's that's uh reciting yeah. and i don't know about yes. the lyrics there's it's very little to it but it's very hypnotic and very groovy, and I do believe it does fit here. I it, like I wrote in my notes. It's not what I come for, but I was glad that it was there. Yeah, Derek, anything on this? I'm not a big fan of this one. Uh, this is one of my on the first half, one of my lower scored ones, and it all comes down to there's a line in the song that says, "This one's called Rectify," <laughs> and no, it is not. It is called Something's Got to Give. Is it too much to ask for a little internal consistency? Gotcha. Uh, I like the uh, the Planet Caravan style vocals. So once again, a little bit of a vocal effect over it. Uh, just ultimately, this one just uh, it, it okay. doesn't move me. And that's cool. Uh, let's get some scores. Derek? This was my seven. And then Wayne? Also my seven. Okay. This is my 18. And next song? The next song, we've combined The Blue Nun with Stand Together. See, that was great. Very good job. And I love the skit for Blue Nun. It totally doesn't make any sense, but it's it's fun. So I yeah, that's that's what I I, even when I read when I did this originally with all the tracks individually, it wasn't I I gave it two because I I don't know that it that it needs to be here, but I but I thought it was well done. 
Um, and it definitely, I mean, harkened back to something from Paul's boutique kind of a thing. Uh, but I just, ultimately, I didn't have any strong feelings other than, you know what, I mean, let's, we, it didn't, it also didn't like, it didn't go into another song. It didn't, it's like a lot of times it'll, you'll see the tie in and, and I didn't necessarily, I thought it was well done, but unnecessary. The skit part. I think the skit would have been funnier if it would have been like before finger licking good. Cause he talks about, it does go well with the chicken. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. Now that's, they could have used you back then. Somebody needed to, I wonder. I wonder what Charlie from Yumi Zuma. What how he would uh, how he would sequence this one because uh, he he likes to do his own sequencing for for all albums. So I, I should find out what he would do, what he would have done in this situation. So Derek, what do you got on Stand Together? I really I like this song, but I don't have a ton to say about the song. Uh, you know, we talked about the the lead into it, and I think that somehow works just because it's 1992. Um, but uh, as far as the actual track, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pass the mic. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Let's get some scores in. Wayne, what do you got? I gave it an 11. Uh, musically. Yeah. There's that kazooish kind of horn thing that it's mm. funny as I, I, it's hard to accept initially, but then I, I can't imagine it not being there. Like I'm waiting for it every time I listen to the song and it is always um, when there's, just one of them, and MCA is the only one that that talks on uh, that that raps on this one or lyrically is on this one. And so it, it uh, I guess in a way I kind of understood because Ad Rock gets a couple of songs just by himself, the rock songs, and maybe they were just trying to even it out a little bit. But that's it's it's odd when it's either not Ad Rock singing a rock song or everybody kind of interplaying, you know, the rap lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Derek, what do you got for a score? This was my 14. Okay. Uh, one thing I didn't mention, the sample that's used is from the band Cold Blood. It's a song called Kissing My Love. Do you guys know Cold Blood? No. No, that's not a name I've heard. I just checked them out. They're freaking awesome. They're yeah. they're like a 60s, or early 70s funk band. And oh my gosh, I, I really dug what I heard. So anyways, uh, another deep dive. All right. Next song. P.O.W. Pow. I love the bass work in this one, but um, yeah, there's nothing lyrically. Wayne and I just said the lyric. So um, do we have anything to say about POW? Um, the first of three instrumentals, and it's not that it's bad. I just, I have no idea why it's here. Yeah. And my only assumption would be to, it's 
show, showing off that they're playing their own instruments. Because of the three that have literally no lyrics whatsoever, this is I put this one I guess up highest among those because it it I think it showcases the band a little bit better. The others get organ heavy with Money Mark, um, and mm-hmm. this one it, it that's that's less. So, but at the at the end, I, I'm not sure that it was needed, but I'm, I'm definitely sure that there was not three needed. <laughs> right, right. Um, Derek, do you have anything to add? No. Passing the mic. I think we've said it all about the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. about this one. I think, I think so too. Derek, what's your score? This is my three. Yeah, and Wayne. It has a six. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, trying to do some quick math to figure out why but yeah it's of the three it's the best but that's still seems high yeah yeah this was my six because i'm kind of in agreement with you this was the best of the instrumentals which leads us to next song which is the maestro Let's do word association. When I say the maestro, what's your first thought? Seinfeld. What? Do you remember oh. the maestro? No, you oh. disappointed me. You disappointed me. It's private resort, dude. Oh, private resort. Yeah, that's, oh, that's 150 years ago. We. I, I know, but how many times did we watch that? Sambal. Yes. How many times did we watch that stupid movie? You sure it's not... Uh, Club Paradise? No. it. Go check it out. Private Resort. This was Rob Morrow and Johnny Depp. And the maestro was Hector Elizondo. I know. It was, the, yeah, I, I know. When you, once you said that, I know who the maestro is. I, I see yes. him. But What's I my name? Know. What's my name? The maestro. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. We're reliving our youth right now. I, so yeah, I'll, I'll is, stop. That is darkened out. I just remember the, uh, the episode with... Uh, the maestro on uh, Seinfeld. It, it's on there too. But uh, anyways, private resort for anyone who loves the, the, the teenage exploitation movies of the eighties, that private resort definitely has, um, has plenty of boobies in it. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get back to the music. Derek, what do you got on the maestro? Oh no. Oh, did we lose him again? We lost him again. Oh, fuck. oh what are I going to go ahead and record my part? Yeah. Uh, I love the prank phone call at the beginning. That's, that's very beastie boys. Um, and I love the, the MC. I love it. Cause this does actually, everybody does get a part, but MCA's is very brief and he just basically comes in and name drops a bunch of seventies TV police detectives, which I don't know that anybody besides him can pull off and still sound cool. Um, but the verses are, are the verses are very uh, very like foreboding of sabotage, which is my absolute favorite Beastie Boys song and one of my favorite songs. Uh, so, yeah, 
Yeah. All right. Um, we lost Derek. The beauty of the internet. Should I just go ahead and say what his score is? Do are we not? <laughs> Derek, where are you? I gave it a thirteen. Uh, it's 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 important. I like it. Does kind of combine the rap element with the with that punk rock kind of thing, the stuff that would lead to on the next album to their best song, in my opinion, Sabotage. Yeah. And Derek gave this an eight and I gave it a 10. And that leads us to the next song, which is Groove Holmes. And while this song clip is playing, we're going to go see if we can find Derek. found Derek. There he is. All right. Got to love the internet sometimes. (laughs) All right. Um, So I barely put anything into the sound clip for Groove Homes because it's so dang repetitive. It's my least favorite song in the record, and it goes on for two and a half minutes. Do we have anything nice to say about Groove Homes? Uh, Yeah, it's better than one other song. I I gave it a two. I think like I say, it's it's another it's another one that got it's it's starting to get a little self indulgent at this point. <laughs> yeah, Derek, what do you got on this? Is also the, anything? This is my deuce. Also, uh, I think I like the organ and drums kind of at the beginning, but then like the guitar is like, eh. The bass is just, eh. This song is just, eh. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Here's live at PJs. Right now, it's showtime at PJ's. How about a great big round of applause? Thanks for coming down tonight. It's nice to see all you guys back here. All you guys. All right, we're going to pick this one up now. We're going to get into it now. And the sample is besides change the beat. And I didn't know who besides was. Does anybody know beside? Mm-mm. No. Huh. Yeah, me, me neither. Uh, we already dissed on them a little bit with all the y'alls. There's a lot of y'alls in this one. I like that this yeah. is actually a live song that they're performing in front of live instruments. Um if this was, if they would have really fully embraced their nineties ish ness, this would have been the hidden track. Yeah. Yeah. They missed an opportunity there. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, I I think it's, it doesn't even feel like an experiment. It just feels like them having fun. And I don't think it's them playing live. If I understand correctly, I think they're singing. I think they have behind another band. I don't think they're the ones playing. If I understood, uh, but I don't have too much more to say about it than that. Just of all the more rock 
kind of songs. This one is just a bit lesser. So let me ask you this. Did your, was your score affected either negatively or positively by the line tantalized my tummy with a boo-boo snack? (laughs) (laughs) It didn't affect my score. Yeah. Same. Okay. All right. It affected mine. All right. Should we get some scores then? Wait, wait, wait. wait. In, in, In which way? In which way, Ben? Negatively, come okay. on, a boo boo a boo-boo snack. <laughs> come on, just double checking. Okay, Wayne, but what do you are, got? Anything on this? Yeah. So what doesn't what doesn't work is like I get it on the rock songs, but this one is only uh, Adam Horowitz, and I, I do like the that funky lounge act routine uh, that they play because they play it all the way to the end, which I, I love the consistency of it. But the song. I mean, there wouldn't, there's no reason that you couldn't have, have mixed the, I mean, he's missing a Meshach and a Bendigo. He's, I mean, it can't, it doesn't, there's no reason for it in this. I still like the song, but, uh, and I like the whole shtick behind it. I thought that was, it was amusing, but to leave the other two out, it didn't, it, 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 it did, it, that affected my score. Okay. Uh, This is my eight. Wayne, your score? A 14. That is way too high. Derek, your score? <laughs> this is my 11. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm passing the mic. Here you go. Mark on the bus. Good morning. Time to get up and go to work. Let me just throw this out. This is my deuce. I, I, this is, this is, this is my least favorite or least. I don't even like it. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, I'm assuming money, Mark. Um, it isn't good. It isn't necessary. There's this, this guy is, I don't know. He's got naked pictures of the beastie boys or something. I don't know how he got so heavily. He actually got his own song on this, on this record. And I don't, I still am. And, and let me tell you the reason why it's not my least favorite song. So the last part is from the National Lampoon's record from, I guess it was like 90, uh, 77. And that is, do you remember? I had a copy of this, this record yes. back in the day. Yes. And I got it from Huey. Remember Huey? Yep. Oh, yeah. So, um, and so that is Mr. Roberts that's voiced by Christopher Guest. And when you hear Bill Murray, who is the bass player, um, yeah, that, that skit is a lot of fun. And that's the reason why I didn't give it a one because I hate this song other than that part. There you go. I just explained, uh, anyone like the song at all, or do you just skip this? My only note is why is this here? <laughs> All right, so I gave it a deuce. Derek, your score? This is my one. Wayne? Also my one. All right. 
I'm seeing how long it will take Wayne oh. to just go. No, because now I'm thinking every I lost everyone. I think now it's <laughs> <I'm thinking laughs> internet problem. <laughs> Freaking me out. <laughs> the next song is Professor Booty. intro from this was from some movie and i forgot to write the name of the movie dan guys anyone do any extra research to find out Oh, i didn't do the research i just i felt um it didn't make any it didn't make any sense i thought they really should have started with the with the what's another name for pirate treasure part that they should have started there because at least that made sense to the whole thing but the 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 clip from the movie doesn't I just couldn't tie it all together. It never, no. it surprised me every time. And I, and for a song that I like so much, I couldn't figure out why they did it that way. Yeah. Uh, supposedly this was the fifth single that's according to Wikipedia, but I, I didn't find any significant info that would confirm that. Uh, lots of, lots of um, samples on this cool in the gang, Willie Henderson, Jimmy Smith, I'm going to give you just a little more, babe. I think there were some other samples because uh, there's a lot in here. All right. Trivia time. Who's Grady Tate? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't look it up. You know, is it the, is, was he a character in Sanford and son? That was no. going to be my guess. Yeah. So he is a American jazz drummer and baritone vocalist. In addition, this is from Wiki, in addition to his work as Sideman, Tate also lent his voice to songs in the animated Schoolhouse Rock series. And so I had to look that up. He, Do you remember Na- Naughty Number 9? Was that the Vaguely. Yeah, that's Grady Tate. Huh. So there you go. There you go. Um extra trivia for you. What do you guys have to say any about this besides the the obvious where Wayne says, you know, what's another name for sunken treasure, which is funny. Yeah. That I I thought it had some great uh rhymes, but the the beat was kind of uh I don't know, it was wasn't as exciting, I guess, as most of the stuff that they, is behind their the more raps the rap songs on here. It, this feels like the first time in a while that they've done the Beastie Boy interaction thing. And I think that's why this score is probably a little bit higher than it deserves. Uh, and, and I think the sample, you know, the, you know, the, the booty part is kind of funny of juvenile. Um, but yeah, I think that just this feels like a Beastie Boy song for the first time in probably the second half of this record. Right. Yeah. Wayne, your score. I gave it a 15. I like to say, I agree with what, what Derek said. It, it, they, they had some strong rhymes. They were, they were all three mixing back in and out, but I thought the, the one thing that I thought was not up to standard was the, was the beat. Got it. Derek, your score. This was my nine and I'll match in your nine. And then another instrumental here's 
in threes. threes. Now you now you got me confused. Am I doing it? Or I, I, doing it? I know. I just I w- didn't want to wait another thirty seconds. <laughs> thirty seconds of uh, silence is always awkward. don't have any i don't have any notes whatsoever about in threes heard it before at least once that's what i wrote down i feel like that as well derek anything on this uh this was my favorite of the instrumentals but that doesn't say a whole lot Uh, you know i thought the bass line was a little you know rod red red hot chili pepper-esque uh for some reason just something about the groove of this one i liked a bit more um whereas you guys liked um what was the one that you guys liked a little bit more? So pow, pow. I think, but uh, yeah. So this was uh, this was my four, and that's the only thing I really have to say about it. Yeah. And Wayne, your score. I also gave it a four. All right, and I gave this a three. And go ahead. The next track is Namaste. Very good. All right. Okay. The stars in the sky. And on the horizon, the sunlight begins to climb. And it seems like it's been so long since he shined. But I'm sure it was only yesterday. This is an ending track. And I'm going to, I'm just going to say this. I gave this a higher score because I dig that they were trying to do something a little different. And probably because this week I was listening to a lot of Sly and the Family Stone and also Wayne, a recent guest of ours, Adeline, put out her EP, which is also super catchy and, and funky. And I feel like this song, this feels like a Gil Scott Heron song, which I, I kind of dig. So my score is way higher than your guys's because of that. And i um, not going to apologize for that. Um, <laughs> Wayne, what do you got on this? It, in a lot of ways, it reminded me of a track I really love, which is the opening track to Paul's Boutique, where MCA, it's just MCA. And he's, you know, he's talking about all the girls but so having heard it, it loses something, but I like it as the end. Cause it is kind of a floating out kind of a feel to it with that kind mm-hmm. of a whispery underdone, you know, lyrics or, or his, or his vocal style. So uh, I liked it as, as an ending track, but I felt like I heard it done a lot better on Paul's boutique. Yeah. All right. Derek, anything? It has a good groove, but it's kind of dull and it, is a bit too long. I mean, it's, it's okay to play out. And I wonder if you didn't have to sit through most of the second half of this would have finished the album on the first half. Maybe I would have liked it a bit more, but by this point, my patience is kind of worn thin and I don't have a, you know, a, a real positive. It's not, it's not a terrible song and it, it does feel like a last song, which is nice, but that's, that's all I have. 
Yeah. Yeah. As I've, as I kind of finished this, <laughs> so Wayne, Wayne, t- tell me if, if my, my conspiracy theory is, is off base. Considering that we got canceled on not once, but twice from this certain musician who picked this record, part of me thinks we got punked. <laughs> I'm going to pick the, I'm going to pick a, a CD with 20 tracks. Yeah. Uh, let them go through the process of doing, you know, their notes, not once, but twice. And, right. And, I'm, and then I'm just, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I don't know that he's cool enough for that, but. <laughs> and if you want to know who the musician is, just direct message me. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Because he's not getting any other shout outs on Twitter or Facebook from, from me at least. So um, anyways, um, so this is the part where I go, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? I don't think we did scores for this last one, did we? Did we? Did we not? We did not. See, I'm even jumping the gun on this one. All right. This is my 13. Wayne. Wow. I... I am speechless. I gave it a five. <laughs> I also gave it a and, five. I, I literally uh, flinched backwards when you said that number back. <laughs> Look, I told you the reasoning why. Now, if we if we were to do this episode again in like three months, this is probably going to be my six. Uh, uh, obviously, I'm looking. I'm looking at this. I'm like, do I really like it that much more than Pow? I don't think so. Um, but. That's just how the score is shaped up for this for this time around. Um, there we go. All right. Now, I'll ask, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? I, we got a lot of it. I don't, I mean, it's hard to say. There's a lot in here. Um, but I think this is where they, they once again did something different. They could have stayed the same and done just fine. And they continue to push themselves to towards to what I mean, they're not their next album, but I, to me, it all culminates on hello nasty. That was, that to me is one of that's, that's their perfect record. I was just going to ask you if you felt like the follow-up to this ill communication was, uh, continuing the evolution yeah. that you saw yeah. with Paul's boutique in this, this record. I think so. Yeah. I think they, they really got it all together on, on hello nasty. Yeah. Well, okay. I think, I think this is where they claimed control of their own career. Cause I would disagree a little bit that I don't think they could have continued to do the same thing because, because Paul's boutique was such a flop. I mean, these guys were kind of considered has-beens when this record came out and it, some, I know some critics were even saying that the idea of them playing their own instruments was a little bit of a hail Mary pass in getting people to notice them again. Because if they do Paul's Boutique again, nobody gives a shit because nobody yeah. cared that first time. And so, you know, they had the, you know, Svengali like with Rick Rubin and then under the thumb of the Dust Brothers. Now, granted, this this album is pretty sloppy, as we've talked about, but mm-hmm. when it's great, it's great. And yeah. I think this is where this is where they really become their own band. And that's why, you know, Mario C, this is his first uh, production credit as a as a co-producer. I think he said before he'd only been an engineer prior to that. 
and then they make what the next three records together. So, you know, they have their own studio, they have their own vibe. This really brings them back into the pop culture and not as a joke. And I think that's what makes this album different. It's not perfect by any stretch. And I think the next two records, while don't have the nostalgia for me that this one does, are are better yeah. records. Yeah. So while we go through our top five, so how important now, considering we just talked about taking control of their career, Paul's Boutique not being at that time considered a hit, how important was our number one song, which is So What You Want? If that had not been a hit, would there have been that evolution from from this record to Ill Communication to Hello Nasty? And would we still be revering Beastie Boys in the, in the, the reverence that we have. I don't think so. I I really think that that, that song changed the trajectory of their career in that now it wasn't just, you know, people listening to hip hop that this, that song again stood next to, you could play that with the smashing pumpkins or you could play that with the stone temple pilots, or you could play that with Pearl jam or you could play, you know, you know, they went on Lollapalooza. They toured Lollapalooza, I think, for this record, if I remember correctly. Maybe, maybe it was the next one. That, I never saw them live. The only time I was supposed to see them was for a Lollapalooza that got rained out because I live in Florida. Mm. <laughs> yeah, lived in Florida. Right. All right. So our top five, no surprise of our top score. Uh, any any guesses to round out our top five? What What do you think number two was? Uh, Jimmy James. Jimmy James was three. Uh, oh, maybe uh, what's because Wayne and I both uh, gratitude. Gratitude was second. We've got the stand together blue nun comp, uh, you know conglomeration that was our fourth, and then rounding out the top five was finger looking good. Hmm. So couldn't get namaste in that top five (laughs) you tried i'm trying i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding (laughs) i did try all right uh derek this was a lot of fun yeah thank you very much i really appreciate you guys inviting me on the show uh i had a great time despite all the internet issues and uh, it was uh, a lot of fun revisiting this record for this uh you know last week or so yep all good and uh in a couple months we'll have you back on for whatever afghan wigs record that you choose excellent yeah so so tell our listeners where they can find your uh your podcast i'm on all the uh the regular podcast places under i love this record uh also on twitter as love this record one and on facebook as love this record uh now i i should warn your listeners that i do use the f word in the title of my show uh (laughs) Uh, but I think on most of my socials, I decided not to to use that. So, and I have my own website, which is www.lovethisrecord.com, and there you can find right. all of uh, all of my episodes there, as well as the uh, I do what I, I like to call my um, uh, semi pretentious solo side project, which I call Album Side, where I listen to one side of vinyl and I drink a beer and talk about the record. Yes, I did. I did listen to one of those. I listened to your Black Pumas episode that you did of that. So that's that's uh, such a great record. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'll drink four or five beers and do a podcast with my high school buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And we love it when Wayne gets to like four or five because 
Wayne gets a little saucy at that point. So <laughs> drunk Wayne is on point Wayne. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm, true. It is honest yeah. Wayne. It is honest, Wayne. All right. So as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitpodcast.com. Again, our happenings on the Facebook page, just search for Records Revisited Podcast or on Twitter at Podcast Records. Wayne Mansi Instagram page, just search for Records Revisited Podcast. And of course, you can find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. And on all those platforms, please go subscribe and rate or review us. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill right now. But go support your favorite musicians. Go check out their live streaming events that they're doing on all the the major socials. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. You can still visit a record store. Just put on a damn mask. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. out.